Welcome to episode four of The Effortless Athlete. I'm Alex Castlander here with Bobby White. We're the guys at High Power Performance. On today's episode, we have strength and movement expert Eric Degatti. Eric has over 20 years of experience in the industry. He's been a lead instructor with the FMS since 2006. He's worked with Olympians, World Series champs, Pro Bowl players, and several NFL and MLB teams. Eric also serves on the advisory boards for OnBase University, the Baseball Health Network, and the Raritan Valley College Exercise Science Department. On today's episode, we discuss the three domains of personal health and development, working with professional athletes, defining what an athlete needs most, and the ultimate goal of finding efficiency in movement. Eric shares some of his best stories from his coaching experiences, drills he used to help guide his trainers who've worked for him, and explains the importance of developing awareness and behavioral changes within athletes. We really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you do as well. So let's get to the show. The, the time we were spending uh, before COVID, before the shutdown, when, when me and you would meet routinely uh, mm-hmm. at your little place over there and uh, kind of vision board or put stuff up. But you had talked to me about the amount of health and wellness professionals out there, the amount of PTs out there, the amount of just everybody in the health and wellness profession, but how we as a country are more dysfunctional than ever. And, and you had talked about kind of putting something together. And if you're open to it, I would love to, I just wanted to remind you of that and that it impacted me. And I've been thinking about it and trying not to steal it from you <laughs> because I, I think it was one of the, the, the best things I've heard in the last year. And that was probably at this point, nine, 10 months ago. And I think about it regularly and I regurgitate it in my own way regularly, but I would love to hear uh, you talk about that. Well, I just stole it from somebody else. So yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> uh, we're all just stealing from anybody. I always tell everybody in this profession, unless you're an ancient Greek or it's like a couple thousand year old yogi, you didn't invent shit in the, in the yeah. exercise industry. So um, basically the concept is based on the more I learn, the longer I do this, it's based on the, the concept of non-negotiable habits and that there's there's certain buckets that will kind of make us up. And, and, and Bob, you know this from going back to when you started training with us a million years ago, right? That we had, that I built one human performance on a triad uh, system, right? Um, and that was stolen. Let's talk about stealing shit. I stole that from a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Goodhart. Got Dr. Goodhart created uh, applied kinesiology. And I don't do anything involved with applied kinesiology. Not gonna say it's good, bad, or indifferent, but he, there was something in his book that he had this, what we call this triad of health. And where there was three sides, there was your mental, your chemical, and your structural. And realizing that everything is interconnected along all three sides of that. And that the only difference between where you are now, where you wanna be is a weak link somewhere along that chain. And there's things we can control and there's things we can't. Like structurally, you know, one day I'm gonna be as tall as you, Bob, but that day doesn't seem like it's, it's coming anytime soon, right? Maybe. So there's things I can't control my structure, but there's things I can either positively or negatively through movement. Same thing with my chemical, that's all the cells in your body and how they are interact and I can affect them positively, positively or negatively through my nutrition. And then the mentals, the thoughts and spirit and that you affect through the books you read, the people you hang out with, that sort of stuff. And it all interconnects. You can't go and work out and not affect the other two sides. And so looking at that system kind of in, in buckets and say, okay, what are habits I need to have that go along with each one of these things that I need to establish. And think of it in terms of a habit, even more so than a workout, right? Because we've gotten in this image that we've created in it's an in, uh, exercise industry convenient image of what exercise should be, is that you're going to come for a designated time, certain times per week, because that works with our schedule. And you're going to work out and get all your movement compacted into this half hour, hour, and then the other 23 hours a day, you completely forget about it, right? And then set, uh, sometimes even sabotage the one good hour we had. So what are, the, what are the habits I need to have throughout the day? And what are the thing boxes I need to check, right? And I need to move and I need to be able to move well. 
Um, and what does that even mean, right? Can I move pain-free? Can I do simple things like touch my toes? Can I lunge down? Can I extend back? Can I rotate? Can I do the most fundamental things? And well, we have a screen that does that called the functional movement screen, tells you if I can move well enough, and then I could check that box, right? And then I have to be able to fuel, right? Fuel not only uh, from with food, making sure I get that, you know, I'm not eating garbage, uh, but also feel what's going inside my head. You know, like I said, what am I, am I sitting there watching the real housewives or whatever uh, and fe feeding my, my brain with mush or am I like actually feeding my brain with something that's going to make it better the next day. And so all these things, and then there's the, the reset, the recover, which we don't think about because we think it's all about smashing everything into an hour of kill yourself workout until you can't move anymore. And then we think we're going to undo it all with, you know, vibrating massage guns and cryo tanks. Not that those things are bad, but like not seeing the big picture is, is really kind of what we were discussing. And that's kind of that concept that I had of, of looking at everything and say, it's, it really comes down to, th you know, three big things. Can you, can you, do you fuel yourself? Right. Do you re do you reset yourself? Right. And do you move? And everything else stems off of that. And I can make a lot of branches off of those three big roots, but that's really where it all stems from. So other than guys like me and you and your network and my network, because I surround myself with other trainers, with doctors, with people that challenge my thinking, that make me look at things in other ways. Um, guys like yourself and we, me and you can have this conversation and we can both agree how profound the idea is and how important that there needs to be a shift in the industry. But what can we do? How can we actually take action other than me and my circle of trainers and people that, you know, understand the value in this? What can we do in terms of action steps to get because we need to create behavioral shifts, right? That's what we're getting to, where we have 178 hours in the week and you see your trainer for three hours, you see your PT for three hours and at your PT, you get 15 minutes of ice, 15 minutes on the bike and then 15 minutes of stim and then 15 minutes with a doctor who just looks at you like a number, right? And those, so you got 15 minutes three times a week. We still have another 170 hours or whatever the heck it is that needs to be shifted, that needs to be changed, that needs to be altered in order for you to actually get better, move better, feel better. What can we do? <laughs> okay, so there's a couple things. One is you need checks and balances. The beauty in the elegance of whether it's an FMS system or a body fat caliber is that it's a there's no bullshit there, right? You can't lie to it. Like, so if let's say, you know, uh, young Bob White comes in and he can't touch his toes. And you so might can. remember that guy, right? And he's a one in his leg race. Well, if I give you and say, look, I, if, if the way we went about that is not to go and start blaming a bunch of parts and not going and trying to impress you with a bunch of Latin language, because that's for us, that's for our own ego stroking to say, look, here's what we're going to do. I want you to do these three things every single day. We're going to do them right now together. And when we do them together, before you leave, you're going to see that improve where you used to only maybe be able to, to keep, you know, touch your kneecaps. Now you're touching halfway down your shin. So you and I both know this works, right? But it's up to you now to, to do it. All I'm doing is I'm going to say, yeah, this is the soil you're going to plant it in. Here's the seeds. You're the farmer from here on in, right? And it puts the onus on you. Now, if you come back next time and there's not any sprouts coming up, it's not on me. I showed you where the good soil was. I gave you the good seeds. We were together there and we knew it was going to work. It's now, it's ultimately your decision to get there. And the conversation I have as a coach is to say, if I want this more than you want this, it never works. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's good. But having that, that, that goal line, that checks and balances is really what keeps the accountability. Cause if you're there just to get a good workout, you know, then, then what is your checks? Then what is your checklist? Here's what the checklist is. And, and you and I know this from, from this was a lot of what I would talk to our staff with when we work together is that if, if I ask every single person that has started with me in the last 20 years, how do you know if you've got a good workout? What's the two most common answers you're going to get 99.9% .9 of the time? Sweaty and sore. I sweat a lot and I'm sore. And I say, perfect. I got the perfect program for you. And I say, you know what? Tell you what, I won't even charge you. 
you can come to my house this weekend and my wife is going to give you a list of shit to do. And what you're going to do is you're going to clean out my garage. You're going to, you know, you're going to get shit down from the, from the attic and you're going to, uh, you're going to do all the yard work. And I promise you'll sweat a lot and you'll be sore and achy afterwards. Be perfect. And I'm like, wait a second. I came here to get better at, at lacrosse. What is this? Say so exactly. So your goal is to get better lacrosse. Everything I do with you should either make you better or make you understand yourself learn something about yourself that's going to make you better tomorrow. If not, then you wasted your time with me. Anybody could get a workout. You can go on YouTube and, and download a workout of the day, find something really hard or even better. I'll tell you what, go to Home Depot and find a pickup truck that's looking for workers and they'll pay you to sweat a lot and get sore, right? It's called day labor, right? So do that if you want to just sweat and get sore, unless you have checks and balances that says, okay, I did make you more mobile. You did get leaner. You did get faster. You did jump higher. You can do something now that you couldn't do before. Then it's all just fluff. It's all just entertainment. It's just who can make you entertained while you sweat and get sore. I have no interest in that, quite frankly. Um, if people like that, great. As long as they understand that's what they're getting. They're not being fooled into something else. But having, number one, an accountability. Now, not everybody likes accountability because you got to be good. Right. I know if I send a basketball player your way and he says, I want to be able to, to get a faster first step or I want to get get a little more hops. I know that you're going to do a, a baseline and I know you're going to go back and check the baseline to show them, look, you jump this high day one, you jump this high on day 21. And that's the accountability right there. So that's number one is, is to have that checks and balances. And the second thing is to have exercise have a progression and checks and balances. And, and Mike Perry, who's a friend of mine, I teach with at um, FMS and he has a great facility uh, called Skill Strength outside of Boston. He had a great concept in that we should have a belt system in fitness. Martial arts is, has this elegance belt system that mm -hmm. um, existed for thousands of years that told you until you can do this, you don't get to the next belt. And that's kind of how it should be. And uh, unfortunately, that's been even bastardized in, in America where, you know, look, as long as mommy shows up with a check to, you know, the, the chain of martial arts studios, you know, long enough, the kid's a black belt by nine, but yeah. he can't, you know, probably couldn't. Uh, you uh, saying that, paper. it's, we kind of started that. I had, I don't do high school and middle school and elementary groups. I have level one, level two and level three. And you don't move up until we tell you you move up. And we lose people because of that, because this dad thinks Johnny should be in level two when he can't do things that the level two players can. And when I was, a, you know, when I was just getting into training or even a couple of years ago in, in running the business and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make money. That's the goal of the business. But I, I would lose kids because I would tell them the truth. You know, how come I'm not moving up to level two or how come I'm not playing for my well, you're not good enough, you know. I, I love you, but you're not good enough. And some people don't really want to hear that. And like you said, I'm not here to act. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to get you good. And sometimes I actually do care about your feelings, but the place that you're trying to, the team you're trying to make, the coach that you're trying to play for, he wants to win, right? So I need to prepare you for that. And that doesn't mean like I, I can be mean, I can be rude, I can be abrasive, right? That doesn't mean I don't care about you. I am doing that because you told me where you want to play and where you want to go. And this is what I think you need to be ready for. So that's cool. And I haven't like the set actual belt system. I haven't have it like written down to a T, but like my, we have gear, right? We have high power t-shirts and socks and hats and all this stuff. When you make it to level three, you get that stuff for free. But until you get there, you're paying for gear. Like, I don't want you walking around in my with my logo, you know, if you can't, you know, do what you're supposed to be doing. I love it. And there's no there's nothing kind or nothing um, developmental in a, in a participation trophy. Yeah. Right. There's nothing. All that has done. That whole concept has done nothing but but hamstring kids um, and not let them you know, learn what it's like to fail. And that's the only way you get good really at anything. Um, and so being able to, to know that, that this is what the mark is. And this is now, if I don't tell you how to get to the mark, that's cruel. If I say, no, you only, you have to squat 300 to get in this club, son, but I don't tell you how to get there. Then, then I'm just, then I'm just being an asshole. Yeah. Right. But if I give you a program and say, look, you're right now, if, if the, if the mark is, so like I have certain markers for, 
when we start introducing a strength training program, there are certain markers, and this is kind of a collective, again, stealing from everybody that I've stolen as a collective that I've seen. And they're all pretty much within the same mark. So I, I took this collective, it's John, Dr. John Rusin, um, Joe DeFranco, um, uh, Dan John, uh, a couple others all have these standards for that they look for for unilateral strength. And that's the first thing when we initiate a strength program, whether it's a football player who's training for years coming back off the offseason or you're just a beginner, before we go really get to complicated into barbells or any of that kind of stuff, first you got to clear the movement hurdles. But now if there's no movement restrictions, there's certain things I want to look for in terms of strength markers, right? Before we go and say you're going to go bench press, you should be able to do a certain amount in a single arm floor press, right? So to make sure that we don't have huge strength asymmetries and you at least have a baseline of strength. If I say, okay, well, look, the, the marker for you right now is half body weight for six reps each, or I'm sorry, eight reps each side. Right now you're at, uh, you're at 30% it, it, it body weight and you can barely get six, right? But each week we can tack this on. You could be there in four weeks if you're diligent with it, right? That gives them a goal, a goal to shoot for, but it gives us a process that they know what they need to do to get there. And there's no short changing that process. You can't short change a black belt if you get a real one, right? Um, you, you have to go through and do your reps. Does your approach or, or all this this process change with like, like you've worked with professional players in, in basketball, or I'm sorry, football, baseball. Um, I know Bobby said you've worked with some Olympians. Like if you find a, an athlete who performs very well, let's say it's an all pro player, but for whatever reason they have, like you said, like structural limitations, you know, in their hip mobility or whatever, are you still going through that same process or are you kind of reluctant to intervene with whatever they've been doing? The process is always the same. The application is always different. Um, and the reason I say that there are things to be sensitive to, like you just brought up is that if I have an Olympian and she's getting ready to leave for trials in two weeks and uh, this is the first time I'm working with her. I'm not making major changes because mm -hmm. those those in, asymmetries or uh, dysfunctions may be what's making him or her great. And so don't, I'm not messing with that close to competition. Mm -hmm. Now, if I have a pro baseball pitcher like I have now is one of my last sessions and they don't have to be on a on a mound competitively for three months. Now I can make all the tweaks I want. And then when they go and do their bullpens, they have to readjust to this new body that I'm, that I'm kind of setting them up with. So it depends on the timing of all that, but the process is always the same. And then it's always a matter of there's, there's minimum, maximum, and optimum. There's the minimum, like in movement, people make the mistake because they do the FMS. They think I'm the, the, this movement police that everybody's got to be perfect in their movement. No, you got to be good enough that movement's no longer your issue. At least movement competency is not your issue. Then there's, so I don't need you to get to maximum. I don't need you to be threes on all your FMS scores. I don't need you to be at absolute full range in all your joints because it may actually be a bad thing, right? If you're an offensive lineman and you're, you know, and you're hypermobile in your shoulders, I might've just ruined your career. Um, so, so there's, there's minimum, there's maximum, and then optimum is where I have to kind of get you to. And then I have to look at all the boxes from movement to all the different aspects of performance because within performance there's strength there's speed there's reactivity there's there's quickness there's all these different things and then i have to see okay well which ones do you need the most that's where i need to focus on um, because there's just too many boxes to check so that's i'll have you know i'll i, I work semi-privately with athletes so i'll have anywhere from three to six athletes strength training at the same time and i'll have one kid using the safety squat bar in in the squat rack Right. And then other kid over there is still on a goblet squat or still on a still working single leg stuff because I know he doesn't squat well. And he goes, when can I squat? I'm like, well, when you start to show me that you can squat well. Right. And then I go, well, why do you even want to squat? Because in this instance, that kid had the most bounce in the gym. The kid that was asking me when he could squat has the highest vertical jump, moves the best other than his squat. Right. He had he can throw 360 dunks and gets his head up at the rim. And I said, why do you even want to squat? He goes, I don't know. It looks cool. I'm like, so now we got to get him back to your goal. What, dude, what was your goal? What do you want to do? Well, I want to score more points. I want to get better at shooting. 
I want to do this. I want to make playing college for free. I'm like, well, right now, squatting isn't in that vision. There is no need. You jump higher than him. That's more important for your sport than ever getting under a bar. And I frankly don't know if I ever want you to get under a bar because I don't know if it's going to get you closer to where you need to be. There are other ways we can do it. You're a basketball player. Your job is to move the ball well and get buckets, right? Get wins. And uh, I don't really think safety squat bar, back squatting, bar squatting for you is good because we haven't maxed out your single leg, you know, stuff. This may be blasphemous as a strength coach, but I think there's been just as many careers ruined in the weight room than there has been made. And in some cases, uh, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so with that, the first thing I always explain to every athlete, every team I work with is we are training to get good, not get good at training, right? There's a big difference. So like when someone says to me about a question about a deadlift, I'm going to say, well, you're doing it to get good at deadlifting or you're doing it to get good. Because like you said, if you're good, your first job um, is don't screw him up, right? Yeah. And you may actually screw him up by putting a bar on his back, especially if he's not ready to, to squat and he doesn't have the movement competency to squat. Now you go and, and wreck the kid. That's the worst thing you want to do. Now, could the squat possibly enhance it? Maybe if that's the, the box that he needs to check. So it's a matter of saying, am I, I need to get you good. And what is the factors? And the easiest way to find that out is to, is to test, is to look at and say, where is the biggest deficit right here? And if he lacks, his biggest deficit is motor control, but he has tons of power and he's strong enough, then focus on motor control because that's the, that's the one that's going to end up getting him because that's going to one where he's going to roll his ankle, you know, uh, trying to, to, to make a, a change of direction. And now all of a sudden he's missing two weeks of the season because he's in the training room. Right. And you know, they don't offer scholarships in the training room, right. That you gotta make, you gotta be on the floor. Your cool. best ability is availability. With that. I, I talk to a lot of college coaches now all over the country. I'm talking to college coaches. Not one of them have ever asked me how much one of my kids squat or bench presses. Never. No, and the record the record board it has some advantages for for incentive, but it makes a lot of teams lose sight of why you're actually training. Uh, only because their only record is strength; it's their only tool they measure by, and that's only one of of a lot of different things. Now, if you don't have strength, strength is really important to get right. But if you're but if it's going to diminish, and again, that's where your checklist comes in. So if I check your vert, and then I go and do your your you know, two weeks of squatting and go back and check your vert and your vert gets better. Squat is what you need. All right. But if your vert doesn't then bail on that squat quickly, right? It's not where we need to go. And that's where you keep yourself honest. And that's what the test and measures do. And if you don't have the ego to say, it's okay. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going in a different direction. That's fine. Um, but some people don't, they either don't have the, um, the, the humbleness to say, you know what, I tried something here, it didn't work, or they don't know anything else other than squat. Their only tool is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. Yeah. So we, the, the name of this podcast is The Effortless Athlete. And in, in the spirit of that, getting to, to your pyramid or your triangle, your three sides of the triad, right? If any of those is like, when I think of effortlessness, when I think of an effortless athlete, I think of Michael Jordan, I think of Tiger Woods swing, swinging a golf club, I think of Roger Federer serving the ball, you know, I think of people that have put in so much work that they have become masters of their sport, masters of the court, masters of wherever they play. Being effortless does not mean you don't work hard. There is effort to become effortless. But I think we get so stuck in or like this, the, the kids I train, the parents of the kids I train always think it's about working harder. And I think it I'm not trying to negate hard work, but I think that's where your triad or looking at it from mental, physical, chemical is so important because we can get overly obsessed with the physical or we can get overly obsessed with the chemical, or we can get overly obsessed with this, but it takes a combination of all three of those to truly become effortless. And it takes the chop wood, carry water, which I know you're a fan of the book. Absolutely. And it takes that approach on all three sides of that triad. And I think everything that is, we're attached to our phones 24 seven, we're throwing, this is the way to jump higher by this program. That's it. This is a diet for you. This is, this is the answer. This is the magic wand, right? I don't have that. I don't think anybody has that. I know that you give me enough time working with an athlete. I'm going to figure out where on that triangle he's lacking. 
you know, a lot of my kids, honestly, it's their diligence. It's their ability to stick to something and see it all the way through for maybe three years, you know, that, you know, you give me, I think I can get a kid better in three months, but you give them to me for three years because I'm going to consult guys like you. And if I don't know something, I'm going to say, I don't know what, how come my back hurts here? I can't figure this out or I'm not getting any better. The network I've built from just not burning bridges, being a nice guy, you know, saying yes, when people ask me things, I can call you, I, I can, I got a whole list of these guys that I've looked up to as like legends growing up when you know, you were the first gym I walked into when I was 15 year old, and I, you know, couldn't touch my toes and doughy, you know, and now I'm a guy that runs my own business and will bite a teenager's head off if he looks at me funny, and then tell him I love him after, you know, but that there's been we're, we're talking about behavioral shifts and character shifts. And I'm so passionate about that topic and addressing all three sides of the triangle because I came up through it. Right. And I look forward to the day where I have a guy that's in my gym right now that I train and I employ him because I, I've been a part of the process and I understand the process. And I don't, this was a big rant. And I'm not really sure what I said and if any of it made sense, but if you took anything from that, I would like to hear, uh, hear something. Well, the biggest thing is to get that that process, that system was not a rigid system that that no, it's you, not. and you took what you took away was the principles and that's what it was supposed to. So you could take that same system and plug in whatever it is, whether you want to plug in uh, on the on the uh, rehab side, you want to plug in um, kinesio taping. Um, uh, you know, mobilization, manipulation, um, any different modality you could think of. And then on the, the corrective side, you want to put in any type of, of FRC or any of that, any type of mobility work. Or, um, if you want to put in uh, yoga, you want to put in Feldenkrais, you want to put in uh, any type of, of balance work and, and moving that stuff in there. You want to plug in 531 and powerlifting principles. It all blends in. And it's not this stuff is better than this stuff. It's saying, okay, I see where that fits in and who that fits in for. It's just principles and those basic principles of our, you need to check certain boxes. You need to make sure that, that I'm not missing the big picture here. And then to bring this thing full circle back to what you're talking about effortless, to look at it at the macro and the micro, the micro being when you move everything, all athletic movement, you have to understand is just efficient. How do I make you as efficient as possible where you don't waste energy, you don't waste movement to do the same thing. So if, if you're guarding me and I, I break down and I take three shuffle steps and it takes you one, okay, you're going to beat me every, I'm never going to be able to get around you because, or if every time I break down, I, I shift forward or shift left or right, because I can't control my center of gravity. I'm never going to get around you if you and I are the exact same speed. And even if you're a step slower than me, um, you're still going to beat me because you're more efficient. Because the most, the one who's the ones who make the most plays are not always the strongest in the weight room, not always the fastest from point A to point B, but they're the most efficient and economical. And like you said, if you watch a, a Steph Curry dribble a ball, or you watch Derek Jeter doing his famous backhand play, and he's blowing a bubble, right? That looks effortless and efficient, but it's not from a lack of hard work. It's from doing that deep practice and getting to the point where the, all those things are syncing up. And, um, you know, that could be held back because they don't have, and you got to figure out why can't they do it? Is it because they don't move well enough to do it? Is it because they don't have enough horsepower to do it? Is it because they um, gas out because physiologically, because they had a, you know, a bagel eight hours ago, and that was the, the extent of their, their fuel right now? Or mentally, they're freaked out because dad's hanging over the, the bleachers. And in, every time they touch the ball, they look over and they can't ever relax and settle themselves. You know, And so there's, there's lots of ways when you look at those three buckets that if you're really strong in one, it can overpower some of the other ones. But you got to be able to respect the whole, whole kind of connection between those three areas. I had a question, but you just reminded me of a story you told me with the parent on the football field and you handed them some, the kid something to go hand them after they, they, they made yeah. a suggestion. Can you tell that story? Cause absolutely. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was coaching youth football and uh, I had a kid who's great kid and uh, he was playing defensive end for me. 
And I just had watched the film and we're at practice, first practice Monday after the game. And he, I grabbed and put my arm around him as we're walking on the field and I got my stuff. I said, hey, listen, man, I, I just watched the film on you playing DN. You look great. You, you had an awesome game. I really like the way you're playing there. And he says, yeah, you know, my mom says I should be on offense too. So instead of just taking the compliment, now I got to deal with, I said, really? Yeah, she said, I don't know why I'm not. She said, my mom told me, I don't know why I'm not playing offense. I said, well, you know what? It's perfect because tonight we're doing offense. So here's what we could do. I took my whistle off and I handed it to him. I said, go get your mom. She could run the offense tonight. He goes, what? I go, no, go ahead. Go get your mom. Kid was like in middle school. And he kind of looked at me crazy. I said, go. He came back about five minutes later at the whistle said, she said, you got it. It's okay. I said, all right, good. Now don't ever talk to me like that again, get in a huddle. All right. So that's not, that's not being a, a, a mean, you know, coach that was, you know, I was doing that in fun and I had built up the rapport and the relationship with him to be able to do that, but to let him know, like there's times when, you know, I know that you may need a pat on the head and there's times where like, it's like, no, I'm not going to give you a participation trophy. I, I was com complimenting you on what you did well, but I'm not going to, not going to then cave in and, and give away all my principles that I, I got to this point on. You didn't play offense because you weren't good enough to play offense this week. And that brings it back. I mean, to your point with, I can get your, you know, we can get your squat to 300, but it's a problem if I don't tell you how to do it and send it on your way. That's, I, I have gotten so clear and upfront and transparent with my expectations of my, you walk into my gym for the first time, I am going to tell you what I expect, right? Which is eye contact, heads nodding, effort. I expect you to make mistakes. I want, if we're on the court, I want you kicking the ball off your foot. I want you making mistakes. I want you at the edge of your ability. Like you taught me right 15 years ago. And that's how we get better getting to the edge of our ability. I want you there for an hour, right? I want you uncomfortable for an hour. And I demand, you know, I have a list of things that I demand. If you want to stay in my gym, this is what you have to do. And at this point, after doing this now for seven, eight years, right? I have, I believe in my training. I believe that I am better for the basketball player than anyone else around. I think if you're a basketball player, I think you should be in my gym. But if you want to stay in my gym, right, I'm going to set the expectations and you're going to do your best to live up to them or it's not going to last. It's not going to work. And you can go to another trainer that's going to give you the pat on the back and tell you you're doing a good job when you're really not. But he's trying to make you feel good and I'm trying to get you good. And uh, I think it's because I care more, not less. And that's the art of deep practice. And whether you look at the greatest um, uh, pianist in the world, you look at the greatest uh, tennis players in the world, you look at, at any of, uh, if you read uh, Outliers or you read the Talent Code or any of these things about really what is motor learning. That's why I would always, I would always say to people like, how is, you know, they'd say like in one day, how is that I go from training you know, one of the top ballroom dancers in the world to an NFL athlete, to an MLB player, because I'm just teaching movement. Movement's and I, movement. as long as, as long as I understand what, how, to, how that movement needs to be applied at what speed for how long, how many times, um, it force a direction, all those sorts of things. I get a, You give me a, a, an idea of that. Then I can, then I can basically show you and apply it. And then the art is I got to set you in a spot where, like you said, you're successful, but you're challenged. I make every kid learn that first day in. You need to be successful, but challenged. So if you go and do something and you're, you're, you, you fail a little bit, my first question is, okay, what did you do? what did you do wrong there? I'm not going to tell you, you need to tell me, because if you can't recognize it, then it doesn't matter. Your first goal is to create the awareness. What did I need to do? And sometimes it's, it's a doing an agility drill and figuring out, okay, I didn't sit into my hips enough. Okay. Now, if you can say that back to me, that awareness is, is gold. And if it may be lifting a weight to say, okay, I think you can do this. I need you to change your grip. I need you to change your breathing. I need you to change how you organize yourself. Now all of a sudden you lift that same weight or you lift it twice as fast, or you gain 20 pounds on a lift. You didn't get that much magically stronger in, in the last 30 seconds. You just recognize what you have to do to organize yourself and set yourself up. And so creating that awareness, that's, that's my job as a coach and set you up in situations where you can learn that awareness is not to give you uh, everything, not to plant the seeds for you. My thing is to say, here's the seeds you need. That's where they're gonna grow best. You're the farmer from here on in. 
Yeah. I mean, my goal with my athletes is effortlessness or that unconscious competence, right? Where they're going to come in flawed without even knowing it. And how can I get them from, you know, flawed or bad movers, right? That have no idea to bringing that awareness and then getting them to where they're so good and they don't even realize it and they don't even think about it. You know, for them, shooting a jump shot is like chewing gum or talking or like breathing, right? And then we can get into all the visualization, the focus. And I've really just been hammering stuff like that. I mean, I'm reading all different types of books from all different types of people at this point. And, you know, I, I only listen to podcasts. I don't listen to music in the car anymore. I'm on Audible. I'm on this. And I, I, I came up under you and FMS was the system in this. And I heard people bad mouthing FMS and I'm like, they're bad mouthing something that doesn't sound like what I know. Right. They're bad mouthing their preconceived notions of what they heard about FMS, but let me go on the other side. And then I went through the FRC stuff just to know, right. I could have easily looked at FRC coming up through FMS and being like, that's stupid. Right. That's dumb. But why? I've met some awesome people on both sides of it. When I'm at a seminar with you and Gray Cook, and then I go to FRC with Andrew Ospina and the guys I've met there, I, I just, I go in there as a blank slate. I take what I want, like we talked about before, and now I'm just building my toolkit. And then I'm talking to this, I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff I've been posting with uh, a Darian Bar. This guy is this, this dude out in California, and he eats, lives, breathes, sleeps. The guy seriously runs in his sleep like he's a nut. But this is all he does is work on getting people fast. Like that's all he does. This is all he thinks about. And he does some of the weirdest, craziest things. But I start taking from him and I start applying it. And I'm like, this craziness works. And it's super simple, right? Or I can take the, the, the systems that I've learned from you, right? Or all these different things and make it my own. And the way I get people from that, that flawed without even knowing it, from that unconscious incompetence to that conscious I'm all backwards, but, you know, to get them to that unconscious confidence or effortlessness that I'm after, it's never the same. And I don't think there is one way to do it. Right. And I think it's a matter of speaking truth, understanding that I don't know everything and relying on my network and things like that when I don't know and being able to say, I don't know. I, I think the greatest gift that, that you've gotten and I think that you're giving to these kids is getting them to understand and appreciate a growth mindset of saying that, okay, instead of looking at something different, whether they're with you, training with you, and they're, you're giving them a drill that looks weird to them, or you're going out and taking an education that looks different from what you've learned, instead of that mindset of saying, you know, why do I need this? That's stupid. Saying, well, why wouldn't I do that? Right. Why, if I don't see a reason why I would not do that. Right. So like, there's some things that have been, you know, people, you know, as a, whether as a business owner or just having my name out there that people have tried to sell me and I always look at it and say, well, okay, well, why wouldn't I look at this? And then I look at it and realize, okay, no, I don't want this or look at it and say, you know what? I don't see any reason why I wouldn't do this. Add it onto the list of things I can use. Um, so having that mindset and is, is completely where it's at in terms of, understanding that there's always something that I could do to get better. I, I don't think there's a single human being in the world that I can't get better in some way, shape or form, because there's just too many boxes to check. There's no way you have that all, all dialed in. And to have that challenge to say, I'm yet to find a person who is completely peaked out everything. And to say that there's so much more potential in, in what anybody can do. Um, when you look at the whole scope of things, it's, it's, it's unreal but you have to have that growth mindset to be able to kind of to think that way. I have recently been able to say stuff like you just said, where I believe I can get anybody better. Right. That took a lot. Cause I, I, I don't know if me and you ever talked about my background and stuff, but I, there was a time when I wasn't coming to the gym that I was doing not so good things. And uh, I, uh, it, it got really bad, but the, me coming into your gym, being an intern for you, going through the six month internship, all those kind of things, right, led to, it was, yeah, I was getting better physically. I was doing my best to get better chemically, mentally, spiritually, all that at the same time. But it took me eight years to get to a point where I can say things like, I think I can get anybody better, right? I wouldn't even, like, I would have been scared about coming off egotistical. And I hear you say it, and I don't hear any ego. I don't hear, look how great I am. I'm the greatest trainer in the world. Do this. But to be a great coach, to be a mentor, to be something, we need to have confidence. And it took me a long time to be able to say, I'm really freaking good at what I do. And I love what I do. 
And I really believe that if somebody walks into my gym, I can serve him better than anybody. And to hear you say that so nonchalant, like, yeah, I can get anybody better. I really can because you put in the work. You've come to a point where you make, I watch you train. I step into your gym, how you put things. That's not me, whiteboarding and all that kind of stuff. I'm a nut job, right? I got sticky notes all over, littered in my head with no rhyme or reason on different colors. And <laughs> that's just who I am. I need to get better at that. But you have become a person, and I've seen it firsthand for years, that has made training become visibly effortless. But that didn't come without all the work you put in. And, and and I didn't say I'm better than everybody. No, and I didn't say, no. and I didn't say I can make you better at everything. Right. Like I'm the first one that'll tell you if you if you want to get better at basketball, don't come to me. Right? <laughs> like, can I make you a better basketball player? I know I can, and I know I can do it better than most of the people out there. But I'd rather send them to you because there comes a point where you can talk the talk better than I can. Right. When when you're five, six, your organized basketball career doesn't go all that yeah. far. And so, um, so same thing goes like, I'll be the first one that if you came to me to get, to get ready for the NFL combine, could I do it better than probably most of the people who are selling bullshit out there to athletes? Yeah, I know I could, but if I want ultimately the best for you, I'm going to send you to somebody like Joe DeFranco because he's, he's, he's the best at cheating that test. And he, and so, um, like I know, not only do I know what I'm really good at, I know who else is really good at stuff that I'm not good at, right? So when it comes down to, hey, I need to get, you know, my shoulder is, is hurting, um, then you know what, I need to get you in the hands of the right clinician who can deal with that and who's, who's, who's an expert at that. And so I'm okay with that. I'm my, my, and if you remember, we used to do a drill, and, and I don't know if you remember this, Bob, we used to do a drill I used to do with my trainers. And I just had two different things. I used to say, uh, one was a dream client drill. And I said, if you could have any one client walk in the door, who would it be? And then people would have to write down, you know, who your, whoever your client was. And I say, okay, now they did just walk in the door. Are you actually ready for them? Like mine used to be back in the day. Cause I'm a big baseball guy and, and a Yankee fan. Mine was Jeter. I always said, if I could train Jeter, that he was like the pinnacle, but I knew every day when I woke up in the morning that if, for some reason, Jeter strolled in the door, I was 1000% ready for him. And whether it meant that I was maniacal about keeping the, the gym neat, so he didn't walk into the place and say, oh, this place is a mess, right? Uh, or whether he walked in and I wasn't like sitting on my phone in the middle of a session, like either all the little uh, uh, eyewash stuff, or like to the programming side, like I know I, I can figure out exactly what he needs to get better. Right. So having that level of confidence, that's really as a, as a coach, what you have to think, say, if you're not at that level, well, what is, what's the missing link? And if I want to be at that level, don't just sit and sit there with your fingers crossed. Uh, you need to do what you need to do to get to that level. Eric, for those who maybe aren't so familiar with the FMS, can you just talk a little bit in detail about your initial assessment with athletes? And then okay. the process of, you know, determining exactly, like we said, like what they need and, and how you can help them improve. Definitely. So the FMS is, it, it gets confusing because FMS stands for functional movement screen, but it's also functional movement systems, which is a larger umbrella, which is the company that I, I work with. So within the functional movement system, okay, there's a series of different screens that we do. And the, the initial one is the functional movement screen. And what that is, is it looks at your movement competency, meaning everything we do in life boils down to six or seven main movement categories. And so what, what the FMS is, is we look at those categories and we look at your ability from a, a fundamental level. We look at hip mobility and, and, and uh, upper body and shoulder mobility. We look at uh, from a fundamentals control standpoint, do you have both low threshold and high threshold uh, core control? Um, and then we look at your higher level patterns up on your feet, your ability to squat, lunge, and, and have single leg balance. We take that and based on uh, certain rules we have for each score, we, there's a scoring criteria that we look at to see do you at least meet minimums uh, for these movements? And then more importantly, do you, can you do these movements without pain? Because what will happen is you'll have an athlete or you'll have a, just a, a regular uh, fitness client come in saying, hey, I want to get engaged in, in starting to work out, which is essentially we're going to put stress into your body and you put them through a simple body weight movement and they all of a sudden they have pain. Well, that's something I probably want to know 
before I go and put stress into your body. Like if it hurts you to body weight squat, it's not gonna get better with a weight in your hand. So I, it's good that I wanna know that up front. So all this is is a screen and the screen is just that, it's a filter to say, what is it that I, that I uh, should not do with you? Most importantly, everybody thinks it's about finding uh, things that are wrong and assigning this, a, a bunch of corrective exercises. That's a, a piece of it. But the bigger thing is to know what should I not do with you? And more importantly, if you're in pain, I need to get that figured out because that pain that's in your shoulder could be a, just some stiff tissue that'll clear up after we do some mobility work. It could be a lack of, uh, of stability and control that'll clear up once we get a little bit more uh, awareness and control in your shoulder, or it could be a cancerous tumor. And I don't know that. And neither does anybody else out there who doesn't have MRI eyes. So I want to filter that out first before I go and put a bunch of stress into you and make you worse. So that's, that's kind of what the FMS is. And then within that system, there's, if you do have pain, there's something called the SFMA, the Selective uh, Functional Movement Assessment, where that's for clinicians who can filter out to say, okay, there is a painful shoulder. Let's figure out what's going on there and treat and, and eva evaluate and treat accordingly. And then if you do move well, we have the FCS, which is a, a fundamental capacity screen where we look at you just as a baseline as an athlete to see how much can you produce force, what's your power control look like, how much can you control force, what's your impact control like, what's your motor control and in, in stability, both lower and upper body, and then what is your postural control, meaning what is kind of your, your work tolerance. And then you can put together a profile on an athlete to say, all right, well, what are the things I shouldn't work on? What are the things I should work on? And that's really where it acts as a filter. And then you can apply whatever system you want on top of that. I love the FCS, by the way. Like, it's been the, the software. I, I have the iPad. I can get real. I, I bring my athletes through it. They don't care about their movement screen. Like, I'll do it. We'll, we'll bring them through that. I'll figure out what their FMS score is. And I can explain the importance of them moving well and what it'll do for their careers or where they're at. But, like, they don't. It's boring. They don't and nor should they. If if you right. get a fourteen year old who's really geeked out by the movement screen, then yeah, you should just become yeah. a just become <laughs> yeah. a trainer. Yeah, yeah just start. Yeah, start. Give them a certification. Put them yeah. to work. If not, cut, you want a job. Ninety nine percent of fourteen year olds should not give a shit about their FMS. No, and I nor should want, they. No. I don't even have to say the. I don't ever even mention the word FMS or movement screen or dysfunction or imbalance or any yeah. of those things with any of my athletes. I put them through. I say I'm going to put you through a bunch of tests. And here's the rules. Number one, I need as much communication as possible. So if you feel anything, let me know, especially if it hurts, because now it's not the time to be a hero. And then number two is I'm going to find some things that you're not good at. It's okay. I got people that you could buy their jersey at Dick's that not good at some of this stuff, right? Yes. All it is, is it tells me what exercise I should do and what I shouldn't do and where do I even start with you? And then when we're done with the test. I don't tell them scores, numbers, any of that stuff. If they're inquisitive, I'll answer. I'm not going to not tell them. But all I tell them is which one did you find the hardest? And say, oh, that one, you know, where I had to, you know, balance on one leg. And I'll say, all right, now you actually did okay with that. Which one did you find the easiest? Oh, this one. Okay, well, that one we don't have to do a lot of work with. But the one, remember, you had to lift your leg. That's where we have some issues. And I need to be able to get you. You can only lift your leg this high. Once I get you to this high, then you're good enough in that move. That's all I care about. So you're going to do these three things until you can get to that point. And when you get to that point, it's going to open up a whole lot more exercise I can do with you. So when you see your friends doing kettlebell swings or deadlifts just know you're not doing those because of this test but it's real easy to fix do this at home every day for 10 minutes right. and and that's as much of the fms that i that i explain yeah and and all it is is baselines and then from that point is is you should be able to clear the movement in in a week or two and if at that point it's i really check the fms not so much for them as it is for me to make sure i don't screw them up yeah and that brings it back to the kid I had in the weight room that wanted to put a uh, bar on his back. And I said, remember that time you hold that stick above your head and I told you to sit down into a chair and you couldn't? Yeah, that's why, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Or I'll tell you for the coach, you know, I had uh, one of the schools that I work with the coaches, I, I had him there for, we did some screening on his players on day one. And out of 30, I want to say it was like 32 baseball players. I think I had four kids that didn't fail the deep squat test. Okay. I mean, in, in, I mean, heels up on the board with assistance, couldn't even get a one, uh, like couldn't even get a two on the movement screen. And so he, but he didn't know about the scoring on the screen. He just sat there and watched kids one after another squat and just look absolutely hideous. And he's like, wow, 
He goes, now he goes, we, all we did was squats last year. Right. And he goes, and couldn't figure out why nobody could do it. I said, well, this explains it. And I said, here's the other thing is you probably shouldn't have been doing squats and guess what? We're not doing them either. And so instead of getting into an argument with the coach of squats are good or bad, he realized he was telling me, holy shit, we probably shouldn't be squatting with this team. And so it wasn't about the FMS at that point. It was just having a baseline of, of competency, of quality to say like, oh my God, like none of these kids should have a bar in their back. And it's okay. They can still be really, really good athletes without ever putting a bar on their back. Yeah. But this is what tells me if it's okay or it's not. Yeah. And the, the FCS has been such a big part of what I do now. And I love getting it. If I have four or five athletes at once and bringing them through it and it, like this, like it could be on day one or coming off of the off season or whenever I'm going through my testing stuff and the kids are competing in it and it, it's, it's, then they can get alive and then to be able to show them a graph of, you know, their postural control, explosive control, impact control, motor control. And look, th this is, this is where you're at. I need to bring this out here and it may, I make it really simple and they get that. I don't need to get in depth about everything. I don't need a force plate. I don't need a vertex. I don't need a 1080 sprint. I don't need all this fancy equipment, which one day I do want. Right. But for right now, for, my demographic, which is pretty good high school athletes, right? I get some good numbers on them. We can go to my system, you know, which what I, whatever I'm doing now with my basketball players in terms of strength and mobility and all that. And then in a month, two months, if I go back and their triple jump went from 25 feet to 35 feet, I can send that to their dad. You know, I can show them that it's, it makes the thing so simple the the process so simple. There's two, there's, First of all, there's a lot of places that have all the bells and whistles. And if it does, I don't know how many of them understand that information enough that it's going to actually even change their programming one bit. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm in baseball where data is becoming huge and they have every, you know, they have things on the bat handles to look for cast and they have, they have everything to look at your kinematic sequence and they have 3D kinematics and all these, they have hundreds of thousands of dollars pieces of equipment. They don't know how to interpret the data. So, and it doesn't change the program anyway. You know, I have the two guys that I'm working with now that went to a place that did all of that shit with them last year. And they ended up doing the same program as every high school kid next to them. Right. So it didn't change your program. But now when you can have that, the kids that you put through that, that, that test that you just explained and you say, okay, well, this is why kid one is doing some sort of jump during his training and kid two is doing some sort of squat during his training and kid three is doing some single leg balance and kid four is doing a, is doing a farmer's carry. They can see, well, Oh, this is all based on those tests that we did. And so I don't need to do the farmer's carry because I crushed that test, but I'm jumping now because my, my jump, my, you know, power control sucks. And so the, this now makes it about me. And so the buy-in is at two levels. One is, wow, Bob actually gives a shit about me. This is about, this is a custom program for me. This isn't, I walked in and every kid who walks in is getting the same thing on the whiteboard. And two is that I can see when I'm improving and I can, I have, I have tangible feedback. It's not bullshit. He can't sell me that I'm faster unless I can, he can show me I'm faster and I can see the numbers. I remember I jumped 25 and holy shit, I just jumped 32 and it was actually easier. And that's really, that's buy-in. That's what coaching is. Yeah. And all, and that wraps it around to what we started this whole thing with is having a scoreboard to track your work, but you gotta be good and you gotta be humble. Yeah. And I'm like, I have an idea of what I want to accomplish in the weight room. I, I, I have, I'm fortunate to have, I, I kind of created a weight room up on the stage right next to a basketball court. And my focus in the weight room is integrity, is structure, is efficiency, right? Tendon health, capacity all that type of stuff. I, I keep the weight room. That's our structure, the specificity and the, the neural, the, 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 the pop, all that type of stuff. My jumping is on the court. So I don't, I don't rarely, I rarely do box jumps and things like that now because my athletes get so much of that in their sport. So I'm using the weight room to address any of the movement issues, to build up their capacity and tolerance so that they can jump more and not break down, hopefully mitigate chances of injuries, right? That's all I can do. But what you were talking about, not having a whiteboard, you know, workout, everybody's doing the same thing. My athletes are most, some of them great basketball, some of the good basketball, but in terms of you put them in a weight room and they're like, like they're terrible. 
right? You, we worked with the same high school team, right? And you walked in there and I remember the first conversation you had, you're like, I can't believe, you said, I can't believe how bad they are in the weight room. They can't move. They, they've never done any of this stuff. So with me kind of carving a niche in the basketball world and mainly high school, college level basketball players, I have a pretty good idea of what I want to get them to in the weight room and what I want the program to look like. So I have a sheet, right? I have that whiteboard written down. They have their own personal programs. And then based on what I find in that first session or early on, or, you know, I'm evaluating them every single session, doing as much as I can to watch as much and record as much as I can, right? Then I'm, I'm taking, I'm either taking stuff off of my ideal program, or I'm adding some correct quote unquote um, correctives in or movement work in, but I don't like it. You follow me on Instagram. I have pretty much all the stuff on the court because it's more exciting. My, my weight room stuff is single leg work, push, pull, vert, you know, it is the, it is super simple. And I think the majority of people out there are trying to make it more complex than it actually is. But my thought process, I believe is more complex, but my product, what I actually do is as simple as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the Occam's razor of, of, of getting exactly what you need and nothing more. Um, and the, you know, it doesn't have to be as absolute. You have a nice setup and where you can have that seamless transition from one to the other, but uh, getting people to understand in the weight room, there's so much more that can be done than moving from point A to point B and understanding not only the two big things that I've learned is understanding and appreciating the self-organization that goes into setting up and then the intent involved in the execution. And what I mean by that is, um, so let's say something as simple as, um, let's say we were doing, a, and one of the things I started to use a little bit more is some feedback, but with uh, velocity-based training, VBT, and using what's called a push unit, right? Where it's a, a little Bluetooth unit that you can either put around a belt or around yourself, or you can put it on a bar and it'll uh, it, it's set up to an app that's on your phone. And it'll give you the, the speed at which you're moving at, all right? Now, what it does is gives a feedback to the athlete. So let's say you're doing a, uh, a squat for speed, right? They're doing that safety bar squat for speed and they can think they're moving fast, but then when they actually see the number in front of them, and then I had two guys doing it today. And so, you know, when, when they first went, say it was their first speed was a, you know, a 0.80 and that they thought they were moving as fast as they could. But then the guy after them did a 0.85. Well, the next set, next guy gets in, he gets a 0.90. And I thought he was really moving. And then, well, then that guy got a 0.93 and then the next guy goes. And so they might not have ever hit those numbers. If I just said, move fast, having that feedback is huge. And whether it's that something is technically, technically as advanced as that, or just a med ball slam, you know, to say, okay, you bounce, you bounce at this high, made this much noise. I need more noise. I need more feedback. Or you did a jump. I need you to jump another inch or two on the next one, having that feedback and that intent once they're there. Then the second piece is getting them to understand the organization that led up to that, that if I get them to grip the bar stronger, if I get them to breathe properly and I get them to grab the ground properly and use their feet, that their speed goes up without changing anything. It was the organization of their body. So all of a sudden now they're producing a ton more speed and force without getting, they didn't get that much stronger in that session, what they just learned is how to organize themselves and then how to get better intent out of their movement. And then the more that they, they're able to do that, the more that becomes that, uh, that unconscious competence and they just become a more effortless, powerful type of athlete. They, they get good at, and, and this is a conversation I have with, with athletes once they really start to understand is that it's not so much even the exercise of the, of the drill that I need you to get good at. I need you to get good at learning. So whatever it is in this drill I'm asking you to do, whether it's how far can you throw a medicine ball overhead or how far can you do a triple jump? It's not the achievement in within even that drill. It's they did the drill and say, oh, I didn't my second landing. I didn't push off my toes enough. Okay, I didn't tell them that. They learned that. And then the next time they readjust, the ability to learn and adjust, I want you to get good at learning. That's yeah. what I want you to get. One of my one of my buddies is always saying that I don't want to teach people how to move. I want to teach them how to learn how to move. I love and, it. And there's a yeah. there's a huge difference. And I had my last question was going to be anything new and exciting you're working on. But I think what you just went over kind of summed everything up 
perfectly and talked about some new stuff that you're doing. So that's absolutely great. I would like to just end with uh, thank you for so uh, getting on here. Made it real easy. And uh, where can people find you? Anything you know new you're trying to work on or get out? Uh, pretty much that's it. Yeah, you know, when you said you had this thing going, it was two questions, Bob. Tell me when, tell me where, and I'm in. So, you know, anything you need, let me know. Uh, if anybody has questions for me, um, since I teach so much, obviously now I can't with, with COVID world, I can't go out and travel around the world like I normally do teaching, but um, now I'm doing a ton of these things. And so when people want to have follow-up questions, I just send them to my website. And on the website, I created something just for this. And for when people go to my workshops, it's Ask Eric. And it's at my website, which is ericdagati, E-R-I-C-D-A-G-A-T-I.com. And on the cover page, it's Ask Eric. So if you have training questions, if you have anything, just shoot that question, goes right to my email, and then I get back to you and you know, with the best answer I can. And if I don't have an answer, I tell you who does. Yeah. And uh, we'll, add, we'll make sure we have all those links and everything uh, in the show notes or when we post it on social media. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Eric. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. See you later. Later, guys.